0: Okay, we're going to look at our scripture, which is 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 uh, through 20. And I think it should be up here. I'm not sure. uh, Oh, we started at 13. Okay, that's fun. Uh, This is 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 20. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as... Uh, the word of men, but as what it is, really the word of God. For you brothers became imitators. I knew I did something wrong. <laughs> I knew I did something wrong. Let me, uh, uh, do, 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 do. I need to find our passage. I'm sorry. I'm off my game. I'm used to having my bulletin, and I don't have my bulletin. Um, okay, we're going to go First Thessalonians 3.1. So unfortunately, I, I think I sent in the wrong uh, passage. But that's okay, First Thessalonians 3.1, I'll read it out, and since you have uh, uh, eidetic memories, you'll remember this. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, For this reason brothers in all our distress and affliction we have been comforted about you through your faith for now we live if you are standing fast in the lord for what thanksgiving can we return to god for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our god as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith this is god's word well, there are a lot, of, a lot of effects going on from this uh, COVID crisis. Obviously, there's the economic effect. Uh, there are folks who are getting sick from the virus, though in much, much smaller numbers than what was anticipated. But another issue deals with uh, relational and mental health. Uh, the statistics are somewhat overwhelming. I saw this uh, come across my desk and it was Essentially, the uh, uh, article from uh, ABC News, the first signs of a suicide wave could be originating in California, in the San Francisco area. The area's top trauma doctor told ABC7 that mental health has become a major problem during the shelter-in-place order. He said, we've never seen numbers like this. In such a short period of time, I mean, we've seen a year's worth of suicide attempts, attempts in the last four weeks. One of the uh, a trauma nurse said, what I have seen recently I've never seen before. I have never seen so much intentional injury. It's very sad, and we have to ask the question, well, where is that coming from? What is it exactly that's creating this type of uh, need, desire to, to, to sort of punch out, if you will? There is a deep, deep need within us, a relational need for one another. And so I think there there are two issues, but probably the biggest one deals with isolation. Uh, It deals with uh, the fact of not being able to see people face to face. I've talked with our people in our congregation that are experiencing this. Some of our folks who are in retirement communities that feel very isolated uh, feel very much alone. And uh, that drives people to despair. And what's important to understand, how, to, how this is relevant to this passage, is that this passage helps us to understand that an essential part of Christianity is togetherness. God is, is, is into much more than cre- simply creating an individual salvation. He's bringing a group of people together called the church. In fact, the ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, means those who are called out, those who are assembled that he, got is assembling together. You remember when Jesus sent people out, he sent them out two by two uh, so that they would always have someone uh, to go with. The scriptures say that uh, t- that we are to pity a person who falls down and has no one to help them up. And so in this passage, though, we see the antithesis of this. We see Paul and and uh, Silas and Til- uh, Timothy in their heart for the Thessalonians, their desire to see them, to make sure that they're okay, uh, to be with them, to lend support to their faith, even if it requires sacrifice on their part. How life would be different if we had people in our life that we knew that were for us, that irregardless of isolation, no matter how much the distance, that they would be coming for us, to be with us, to make sure that we were cared for, that we were loved how our life would be different if we were playing that role in someone else's life, if we were maybe that life preserver for someone else, the sort of love that we could experience and that God would give us to give to other people as we embark on the mission of Jesus Christ to be little Christs to one another. That's what the word Christian, by the way, means. It means little Christ. And that's exactly what this sermon is about that we are called to be little Christ's to one another. So in the midst of this crisis, let us do so. How are we to do that? We're gonna look at three ways in which uh, we see Paul and Silas and Timothy doing this. The first is relating to someone else. I use the word relate, but it really means caring, choosing to care for someone else, relating to someone else. Number two is to remind, be a reminder to someone else. A reminder of god's grace a reminder of who they are and finally number three rejoicing in someone else celebrating on behalf for the sake of another just for ourselves because we are called to be little christs to one another so by god's grace let us do so let's talk with, about point number one to relate to one another paul and silas and timothy Uh, If you'll remember, went to Thessalonica or Thessalonica, depending how you want to pronounce it. It was a Greek city. They preached the gospel. They really weren't there that long. But they saw converts. They saw a church begin to develop. And uh, they had to go on their way. And being apart from, but they developed a deep relationship with with these people. Uh, If you'll remember earlier in the passage that they said that you had become so dear to us Thessalonians, that we want to share our lives with you, not just the Gospels, not just the Gospel. And so we see in verse 1 that they are feeling a longing in their hearts. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens. They've reached a breaking point. They don't know how the Thessalonians are doing. They don't know if they're continuing on forward in the faith uh, faith, or if suffering and persecution has knocked them back if they've abandoned this hope in jesus christ have you ever had it when you were so much wanting to know how another person was doing that it was unbearable that's exactly how they're feeling in their heart and so what did they do it says that we were willing to be left behind at athens alone it was really paul who was willing to be left behind because paul had two traveling companions Uh, uh, Timothy and Silas. Silas, we know from the book of Acts, that he sent to another church in Macedonia. And he sent Timothy to to the Thessalonians, to Thessalonica, to inquire. And that left Paul alone in Athens. And it's important to understand that Athens was not a cakewalk for the apostle Paul. Uh, The people were uh, disdainful, uh, disregarding the message of Jesus Christ. And we tend to look at Paul as this paragon and great apostle of a man, but he was a broken man in need of grace and encouragement just like everyone else. And yet Paul said, it is worth it to me. It is unbearable to have you here. I have to know how they're doing, and therefore I'm willing to be left alone so that they would have the company of Timothy. Now it's important to understand, and so it says in verse 2, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, In the gospel of christ to establish and exhort you in your faith now timothy was the most valuable asset to paul paul called him his son in the faith paul was not married he didn't have children and so timothy was his spiritual son he was his heart and if you have children you understand how dear and uh, near your children are to you Timothy was the most valuable. He was listed here, but he's mature in his faith. He's a brother and God's coworker, and so he ministers to Paul as much as Paul ministers to him. But he sent Timothy to the Thessalonians to do what? To establish and exhort them in their faith. The word establish means to steadfastly set, to strengthen. I'm actually doing some work right now where I'm gluing some stones together. And they have to be just right to create this foundation. And that's exactly why Timothy is going. He wants to make sure that the stonework has been established, that there's a foundation upon which their faith is growing. He went there to establish them, but also to exhort them. The word exhort is parakaleo. And we're familiar with this word because it's used to describe the function of the Holy Spirit, right? One who comes alongside the advocate and the counselor, and he strengthens them. Paul has sent Timothy so that he would come alongside the Thessalonians and being mated up to them, coming alongside, would strengthen them in their faith, in their belief, in their trust in Jesus Christ. So that, as verse 3 says, that no one would be moved by these afflictions. The word affliction literally means pressure. These Thessalonians in this Greek cosmopolitan city have put their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ, and they are under pressure. The culture is pushing them to not conform to, uh, excuse me, to, uh, to conform uh, to their polyist, polytheistic view. If you remember in Thessalonica, you can literally see Mount Olympus, uh, where the pantheon of Greek gods are supposed to reside. And yet this church is saying there's only one God. And there's one God who has become man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we're putting our hopes in him and his death on the cross. And everyone is saying, you're fools. They're exerting pressure on them, as pressure is always exerted on the church of God. It's economic pressure. In those days, if you, weren't, uh, if you didn't subscribe to the gods of the particular guilds, they would throw you out and you would have no means of employment in your particular trade but paul wants to make sure that they will not be moved by these afflictions by this pressure notice he says that not that no one would be moved by these afflictions in other words paul cares about all of them he's not willing that one of them would be lost because he loves them all does that remind you of anyone Reminds me of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? The Thessalonians, even though they haven't spent that much time, even though we don't really know how much love the Thessalonians have even shown to Paul, Paul has made a decision and a commitment that he's all in to this church. And he wants to make sure that they would not be moved from the hope of the gospel. And so in verse 5, for this reason when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. There's the second time that Paul says I could bear it no longer. Paul is investing his time, his labor, and his heart in these people. Paul is focused on their faith, not his. Verse 7 says, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul had his own pressures in Athens. He had his own junk to deal with, so to speak. And yet he had connected himself to the well-being of these people over here at Thessalonica. Now a lot of people would say that's a crazy way to live, particularly if you're in the helping profession my wife is a therapist, I'm a pastor, we're in the helping profession. And the helping profession professionals say, never hitch your cart too tightly to another person, because they're going to disappoint you if you do. And so you're supposed to maintain a professional distance, if you will, from people, a protection of sorts to protect your heart. But we see absolutely nothing of this in the Apostle Paul, do we? Listen to this language in verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Well, what if they're not standing fast in the Lord? Would he write, now we die? In a sense, there would be a, a part of Paul's heart that would be dying that they would not be doing well. Paul is emulating, and Timothy and Silas the Spirit so much like Jesus. How Jesus came even though he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he humbled himself, even though he was surrounded by the great pantheon of angels, he came into the world naked and poor as a small baby where no one could understand him. No one could really comprehend and connect what it meant to be Jesus Christ. And he humbled himself and he became obedient to death on a cross that you and I might know his love. He gave his life that he might rescue us from the penalty and the power of sin. You know, if you went looking for a God like this aside from Jesus and his Father, you'd never find him. Because every other God maintains his professional distance, doesn't he? Aloof, unconcerned a barrier between you and me him above and you below but not this God not Jesus Christ I don't know if you're familiar with the story about Patch Adams if you remember that quirky movie in which Robin Williams played this uh, doctor named Patch Adams uh, Patch had a different philosophy about care uh, he was taught, he actually went to GW University and then he went to uh, med school, I, I think it was at VCU or, or EVMS, I can't remember which one it was. But Paul, uh, but, uh, but Patch uh, had a different philosophy and mentality about healthcare. He urges his students to develop compassionate connections with their patients. And his prescription for this kind of care relies on humor and play, which he sees as essential to physical and emotional health. Patch Adams decided to get involved, if you will, far more than what was necessary or even prescribed by his profession. There's a cost when you invest in the lives of people to that degree. You're bound to get hurt. But what happens if nobody invests in your life that way? What happens when nobody cares for you to that degree? The story in California is what happens. Because we all feel pressures. If you're following Jesus Christ, if you're seeking to live out your faith, you feel the pressure. Whether over or covert against a world that says to abandon him. And many of us are lonely, unconnected. We can say, well it's their fault that they don't join in, that they're not a part of things. When they come, we will go ahead and we will engage with them. But the reality is many of them don't know how. Many of us don't know how to connect with other people in a deep, meaningful, and relational way. But that's not church. It's not Christianity. Christianity is investment. It's your heart, it's your time, it's your labor. So who can you be Christ to in this church? Who can you say, it's not just about the well-being of my faith, it's about theirs? Who can you hitch your wagon to? I cannot promise you that you will not feel pain and heartache at times. But I can promise you when they are flourishing in their faith that you will experience not one joy but two, a double joy of having been a part of being a little Christ in someone else's life. Because that's what God is calling us to do and be so we must relate. That brings me to my second point, that we must remind. Verse 3 says that he sent Timothy so that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. How did the Thessalonians themselves know that they were destined to have affliction and persecution? Well, it was because Paul and Silvanus and Silas and Timothy taught them when they were there and now Timothy is going back to remind them again that what they're experiencing is not um, out of the ordinary for Christians they're going to encourage through reminding verse 4 puts it this way for when we were with you we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you now know. Paul knew this because he knew Jesus' teachings. Did not Jesus say, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul knew it from experience as he went from town to town and felt the pressures that were to bear on him and on churches. And he shared this with them because he knew that it was important that they needed to know. See, that's why Paul can't bear it any longer. He has to know, he has to go back and he has to know if they took it to heart, if they listened and they understood or were they panicked and pressured to the point that they were in despair. And so Timothy has gone back to remind them, just as you know, when we do well, it's because people are caring for us. Not only loving us, but also reminding us. Not only in deed with love, but in word, of helping remind us of the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. Because we are amnesiacs. I'm that guy on 51st dates. Remember him, he wakes up and he can't remember that he's in love and that he's married. No, it's the girl, right? Whatever, you know, I'm having some issues here, okay? Can't remember. I wake up and I cannot remember that God loves me. I cannot remember that Jesus Christ died for me. I cannot remember that I have a hope and a future. I have to hear it all over again. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, has designed a system for reminding us from the beginning to the end. It started with Jesus teaching us the truth and then giving us the apostles who went out and planted churches. And then pastors being appointed to preach the truth. And it finishes with you and you and you. One another reminding Monday to Saturday on a daily basis of who we are in Jesus Christ. See, that's one of our jobs, it's, one of, it's part of our job description as a Christian, to relate and to remind. The word fellowship, the Greek word for it is koinonia, which literally means participation. It's what we share in. It's what we hold in common. That's why we use the word community, what we hold in common that makes us into a community. And what you and I hold in common, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, and if you are a seeker in Christ, we're so glad that you're here. I remember coming to faith as an 18-year-old. I had not grown up in the church, and God has you on a spiritual journey, maybe for such a time as today. But if you are a Christian, you are part of a community, And the community is the community of faith. And so when we get together, we have so much more to talk about than just golf. And there's nothing wrong with golf. And there's nothing wrong with talking about the news. And there's nothing wrong with talking about a variety of things. But fellowship is so much more than that. It's talking about the Lord. And who the Lord is. And what he's done. And what he's doing in my life and what we need. See, what happens when we neglect these conversations is we don't have a meaningful participation with one another. This was one of the most devastating things I think about this COVID crisis because we're not used to using the phone and using the text for encouragement and fellowship. Zoom was the best thing that we had, and it was pretty good, but I know a lot of us are Zoomed out because it's just not the same, is it? We need that participation. When we neglect that, our souls grow cold. My son and I are in the midst of a building project right now, little outdoor uh, building. And so uh, when we get together to start building this thing, uh, like we did yesterday, maybe we talk about the weather for a sentence or two, and then we get down to business. And it's been very enjoyable working with him and teaching him some of the things that I know uh, that either my dad taught me or that someone else taught me. How to rip a sheet of plywood, how to true a compound radial saw, how to use an oscillating tool. And I know that all of these tools and all of these pieces of knowledge will be important because one day he will have a family and he will teach them as well. But I'm learning plenty of things as I talk to him about these things. And as I see his mind, his brilliant mind at work, I get to hear from his perspective. I get to see things in a way that I've never seen them before, maybe a way of doing things that I didn't know existed that is better than the way that I knew how to do things. It's that combination, that participation with one another that helps us to build a better building. And so we must get close with one another. We must take the time to pick up the phone, to go for the walk six feet apart or whatever it is. We must examine our conversation. Is it all about innocuous, pleasant things? Or do we really get down to business and talk about the Lord? Not that the other stuff isn't fun, but we need more than simply golf. We need to hear about Jesus because we forget, because we're amnesiacs. This brings me to my final point, that we must rejoice. Timothy goes. Timothy hears that the Thessalonians are doing great in their faith, that they're withstanding the pressures, that they're growing. There are challenges, and we're actually going to uh start turning the corner and talking about them but timothy comes back to paul verse six but now that timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and plan to see us as we long to see you notice i'll pause there we've heard paul has heard that the thessalonians are doing fantastic and furthermore that there is no barrier or wedge between Paul and the Thessalonians. Satan always wants to drive a wedge between relationships. So it's important to make sure to ask that question, are are we okay? Are you and I okay? Are Are we doing well? And the reason is because the devil wants to separate people. Paul continues on, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Isn't it a wonderful thing to feel joy for another person's sake? You know what that means? That means we could feel joy all day, right? I mean, I can feel a certain amount of joy for my sake if things are going well, but there's an opportunity to the degree and amount that I care about other people that when they're doing well, because I care about them and have hitched my wagon to them, I can feel joy for them. We think joy only comes for our sake and looking out for ourselves. But that's not true, is it? We get the opportunity to care and relate to others. We get the opportunity to remind them of what a great God we have. And we get the opportunity with one another to rejoice in others, to take our eyes off of ourselves, to genuinely care. Are you discovering that you don't have any joy in your life? Well, maybe it's a period that you're just going through, and that's okay. But is it possibly because I'm leading an isolated life? because I'm not engaging with other people, because I'm not choosing to feel the the blessings and benefits and difficulties of other folks. The call of this sermon is to be a little Christ to someone else, because we were designed to be a stream, not a lake, receiving God's love and pouring it out, and it continues on and on and on." Well, I hope you've been challenged by this sermon. I most certainly have. Yes, the barriers and the walls are opening up, and that's great. But love breaks down barriers. Love does not take no for an answer. Love finds a way. And so who is missing here today? It may be just because They wanted to make and maintain a distance, but that distance leads to isolation. I guarantee you there are people that are not here today because they're not sure that anyone would care if they came. Maybe let's be that person to pick up the phone or to go stand outside their door and say, hey, I just want you to know that, uh, I I just wanna make sure you're okay and that I missed you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you came when we were alone. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're willing to give all that we might have all. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.